Nick. Hi. Um, uh, it's, it's great to see this room full. It um, really makes me happy and scared all the time. Um, <laughs> I've been in the program since uh, 2010. Um, I, uh, I'm going to kind of break this up because I, if I don't, my, my, my storytelling can go whack of musical. So I'm going to do the, you know, what, what was it like, what happened and what's it like today. Um, but I want to lead with, um, one specific thing I need for today, um, virtually every day, not perfectly, but, um, today happens to be my natal birthday. So I know this one, <laughs> I know this one very well. So I'm going to read it to you because I feel like it really just sort of sums up me. Um, the man who looks for security, even in the mind, is like a man who would chop off his limbs in order to have artificial ones, which will give him no pain or trouble. Henry Miller. Under the heaviest anesthetic of compulsive overeating, there was perfect security. I felt no pain or confusion. In fact, I didn't feel a thing. The price I paid for such peace was to chop off all of my connections with reality and with life itself. In my fondest dreams, I did not imagine that such a life could be turned around, yet that is exactly what happened when I found OA. Today, I have no need to cut myself off from any feelings, uh, anything, feelings or feelings. They have only as much power as I am willing to give them. For today, um, I do not have to be afraid that my feelings will blow me away. I can allow myself to feel them, talk about them, write about them, and watch them dissipate. I do not need to fake the security of compulsive overeating. Uh, so, for me, security is, um, is the number one uh, fear that I have. Like, I, um, I grew up to uh, gypsy parents. Um, my dad was a pretty well-known artist, and he thought it was really groovy to, to you know, to groovy literally, um, to, to to go from city to city in Europe and and drag his children and his wife along, and um, you know, and and we were cute, and we always were a transaction for him. We represented something that made him look better at all times, all the time. And so my security was directly correlative to how I was being of service to my mother and my dad's ego. Um, I spoke two languages. My first language was Danish. My mom was from Denmark. We ended up living there till I was nearly nine years old, um, theoretically living there, but we didn't really live there. We were like all over the place, and that was sort of the home base. Um, and... When I was young, when we finally moved to Los Angeles, um, he brought my mom from this very secure environment of a, you know, socialist country to, we, we grew, you know, I grew up in East LA. I was the uh, only, like, white girl on the block. Um, our rent was $125. Um, the, the, the lady across the street had toilet seats in her front yard. Um, the guy up the street was like tidy whities and a wife beater all the time with his TV tray and his daughter, um, and wife were, you know, these like, almost like dolls. Um, I spent a lot of time there. I don't really remember whatever happened there. I know, though, that he, um... He, he told everybody that his daughter was abducted, and he actually told her. Um, the, you know, the other guy down the street was, was a gangbanger, and then suddenly was gone, and he was dead. He was my age. Um, you know, I never felt safe 
my mother ended up raising us alone because my dad wanted to continue to be a gypsy. Um, and, you know, in this house, we got robbed virtually monthly. So we, we decided to just leave the door unlocked because we didn't have to pay for the window to be fixed, right? Like, it was this, this chaotic, fear-based scenario. And, you know, my mother was young. You know, she was 22 when she had me. Um, and my brother's four years older than me. So uh, she was a kid, really, like in her youth. And so she would like to go out and party, and she would hire these, um, you know, who knows where she found them, babysitters. Um, one of which, you know, forced me to watch The Exorcist in the dark in the house. Um, you know, she thought that was funny. And, um, you know, and, and it was like, you know, we, we didn't have heat, and we used the oven to heat the house. Um, but outwardly, we would be places, and my mother grew, had grown up in this, like, you know, privileged world that my job was to smile and make other people happy and make, you know, make everybody feel good. And, and I got really good at learning what you wanted and what you needed and what you wanted from me, and then I gave it to you because that was the only way for me to feel safe. Um, and for me, that was just what you had to do. You had no needs. You, you, you represented what people wanted from you, and, and that was your job. Like, who am I? I don't know. It didn't matter because I needed to be there for you. Um, and, you know, this, this happened, you know, this continued for a long, long time, and um, I ended up having um, uh, an experience of date rape as a function of that. Um, you know, oh, I had to do this because this is what I was supposed to do instead of like understanding that that I got to say no I got to be who I was and I did say no and I also realized that I was the one that was the problem like I thought I was the problem so you know that that led me to dating a Mormon for four years in college where you know that was safe right that was going to be safe because the guy didn't want anything for me cut to um, you know, we had sex and had to go talk to the bishop, right? Like, there, nothing was ever safe, right? Like, it did, I, I kept trying to find these areas of, of, of disconnect, you know, and it was all just completely disconnected because it wasn't ever about me. And at about 18 years old, I started to recognize, well, when I went to Berkeley, they had the D.C., uh, sorry, Dining Commons, and they, um, you can eat whatever you want all the time. And I never had food. We would love refry our own beans. We would go to the thrift shop for food, like for bread. Like, so for me, this was like this crazy new world. And I was never, um, I was never overweight as a kid because we didn't have enough to be really overweight about. <laughs> and my mom would say, "Go play at ten in the morning," and came home at seven o'clock. Right? It didn't matter. Um, but you know what I realized was, oh, this food felt really fluffy and yummy. Like, it, it started to, like, as I gained weight, I started to feel less seen, less noticed by boys, less fearful. Um, I was dating the Mormon, right? That was super safe, theoretically. And, um, you know, I had all these sort of, these, like, and I kept building these layers. Um, and I didn't realize it. Uh, but one day I, I thought, oh, God, I can't, like, I need to throw up. And I was like wow, did I eat something funny? You know, I had to find a reason for it. Um, and what I realized over time that my throwing up, my bulimia, was a direct correlation to not being able to handle one more feeling. 
Like, I couldn't shove one more feeling down. Um, I tried a lot. Um, and, you know, once I realized that, I just felt more shame, right? I didn't stop it. I just felt more shame about it. And so I couldn't reveal that that wasn't, you know, that I was flawed. I couldn't reveal that, you know, I couldn't be of service to you if I was flawed, right? I couldn't be the perfect version of what it is you need from me if you knew I was flawed or didn't want to. Um, and, you know, just, you know, to, to sort of tie that back too, it's like I was, you know, you know, they give you these gifted and talented tests when you're like, I don't know, four. You know, not literally, but something like that. And they were like, yeah, you're not gifted. And I remember going, okay, that sucks. And then my mom, my mom said, oh, the cool people are in the AP classes. You've got to get in this class. And they're like, no, she's not smart enough. And then it was like, oh, how about this class? No, nope, she's not smart enough. And then I was like, what the hell? And I, when I applied to college, I got into Berkeley. And I was like, well, how'd that pop? And I got into Stanford. I got into all these schools. And I was like, well, this is just really weird. Like, because I'm not smart enough. And I'm like, oh, fraud, 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 right? So I ended up going to Berkeley. And... Um, my dad was also a Native American um, on a dig of Cherokee, and he, um, so as part of my application, I, you know, obviously put who I was, and uh, my boyfriend at the time told me, oh, yeah, sure, Miss Pocahontas, you only got into school, not because you're smart enough, but because your dad was Native American. Um, so, you know, all this to say, like, fraud, fraud, not good enough, I'm reflecting for you, I don't know who I am, all I know is it hurts, but I'm just going to keep eating and shoving that shoving that in into the hole it's like the you know screwing the top on every day you know like really burden my whatever's anyway um all you know all through that decade after decade um suddenly at 28 years old i thought yeah this doesn't feel good <laughs> and it took me a little while and i i i just decided to shut everyone out so instead of recognizing that it's an inside job, because I wasn't there yet, I, I started to just shut everyone out. Like, okay, I'm not going to deal with my mother. I'm not going to do all her crap. I'm not going to represent for her. I'm not going to represent for anybody. I'm just going to be like, fuck you all, and the universe you wrote in on. Like, I don't like you. You suck. And so it just, it was another layer outside of, like, and it was just... And it was because I can do anything. I don't need help from anyone. I am, I am a one-woman band. I got the freaking symbols in my knees. I got the whole thing happening. And, you know, I'm a party toy. You know, screw me on and I'm going to turn on. Um, and it was just a, it was a different, different fear and anxiety. Um, and all that led me to uh, meeting my uh, now soon-to-be ex-husband, um, at a random party because I was trying to impress some writer guy um, he said come to this party and it was let's just say a nefarious interesting kind of party wasn't expecting that I meet my now husband and he is a sex addict no surprise um, but I didn't know that right because I was clueless what, what became four months got pregnant had a baby you know like in four months uh, we ended up getting married. We ended up, you know, being together now 17 years. Um, but after five years, I recognized, oh, shit, what is going on with you, dude? 
You are like 18 hours on porn all day long. You are doing all these things. Like, I am clearly not enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm going to just focus on my career. So I, like, really just focused on how am I going to get worthy of anything. Um, all the while eating, all the while, you know, throwing up. And the eating was never like quantities. I wasn't that, you know, like I'm going to go eat, you know, 35,000 billion calories and sit in my car and like, you know, sing Kumbaya to myself. Um, instead, I, you know, I would, I would eat certain things or, or um, uh, find ways to make it acceptable to not eat certain things so that I was a victim to the food. I was a victim. Oh, I'm a celiac. I can't eat that. Oh, like, I had to find a reason for everything that I just wanted to do. And, um, and you know, I slowly started to realize that, you know, in that first five years with my husband, that I didn't think I was worthy enough. I didn't think he, you know, he would have chosen me anyway. Um, he only chose me because I got pregnant. I was you know, just trying to be this career woman, and suddenly I just lost, lost it. Um, like, I just broke down. And I said to him, you know, I have to be so strong all the time that I have to literally break down for anyone to, like, notice. Because I'm always okay. And my dad said one thing to me that I really remember, and that was like, you know, you don't always have to be okay. And I thought I had to always be okay. Um, Suffice to say, I wasn't. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I had the band going. Um, I started to go to Al-Anon because of my husband and um, his stuff. But really, I started to go to Al-Anon because of me, and and I couldn't do it alone. Um, and I couldn't do it without rigorous honesty. Um, I didn't know that that's where I was going to get to, right? Um, all I knew was, what is this A-A-O-A-E-S-A? Like, what is all this stuff? You're just, like, abdicating. You're like, oh, I have a disease. I'm good. I remember, like, oh, fuck you. Uh, Sorry. You can edit that. But I was so pissed, and I realized I wasn't pissed at him. I was pissed at me. I was pissed because I wasn't advocating for myself. I wasn't taking care of myself. But it took, you know, me doing Al-Anon and recognizing, oh, my God, this throwing up that I do. And it was, it was just a thing I would do when I just had enough, too many emotions. like, And it wasn't, like, systematic. It wasn't, like, every day. It was every third day. It was every, you know, it was, like, when the dam got full. Um, but it was, like, the most abusive way I could, I could, deal with myself. Um, it was either that or hitting myself. I would do things like hitting my stomach, hitting my thigh, or like, you know, grabbing and really hateful, hateful things to myself. And in the last, so how am I on time anyway? You have um, Um, So, you know, I I came into these rooms. I remember, you know, walking into these rooms. It was was the women's meeting on uh, Sunday morning. Um, And I walked in and there were 
50 women in the room on Robertson. And, um, and they were like friendly and giggly and like yippy and, you know, and huggy and shit. And I was like, ew. And then I would sit there and I'd sit there and I'd be like, and, and, and I, would just, I would just look at them and they would just be like, oh, you're so sweet and I'm so graceful. And I was like, you can just all go and run and hide. And, and you know, I, I would sit there and, I, and, I, and, I, and all I wanted was to be part of that. All I wanted is for someone to come and hug me. All I wanted was to have affection. All I wanted was to cry, be messy, and be okay. Because all I felt every day, all the time, was messy. Um, and I couldn't show anyone, let alone show myself. And it took years um, for me and program to get to a place where I could come into those rooms and do yippy weird crap and hug and like, you know, like, oh my God, because I learned that one little honesty at a time, like even my honesty, my rigorous honesty had to be incrementally earned. I didn't want you to, to, to know. <laughs> and so, you know, I did that and I started to get, get more honest and get more recovery and I picked a thousand different sponsors. I went through the steps slowly, quickly, half-assedly, like all the messed up ways I could possibly do it to test you. Is that going to be okay? Can I not do it in order? Can I do it without a sponsor? Can I do it with a sponsor? Can I do it in a house? Can I do it with a mouse? Like, I felt like I needed to test all the things because you were going to leave me. You were, you, you, all of you were going to leave me. Um, and I finally got to that place and I, I took a job in my career that um, brought me to the place where they make chocolate because I was working for a chocolate company. Uh, and, you know, moved to Pennsylvania, a place called Hershey, weird. Um, and and, and I, I realized that this program enabled me to let my life get bigger. Enabled me to go to a place where it smelled like chocolate in the town and roasted peanuts at 7 o'clock at night. Like, and I didn't need it. Like, they would have bowls like this on every, you know, the, the, the like, the, the, the gummy candy kind of stuff, and then, like, the chocolate stuff, and then, like, these events with these, like, ridiculous things, and I was like, no, 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 like, I don't want the food, like, I don't want that, and there were two meetings, and they were, like, 30 minutes away, and I would go to these meetings, and I was like, who are these people, right, they looked nothing like the people I'd seen in L.A., I had an ability to get intimate with them within 14 seconds. People, like, looked nothing like me, like, you know, housewives and, like, freaking dairy farmers and, like, all kinds of weird, not weird, it's totally not weird, but it felt weird. And it wasn't weird at all because we had the common language. We had a common weakness. You know, the disease, the disease that we have is like the vulnerability that I've been hiding my entire life. You know, if I can't see it and protect myself from it, I have to, you know, insulate myself. And today, it hurts. I'm sad. I finally got to a place where 
we moved back to, from Pennsylvania, obviously. Um, and, you know, I had, I listened to the kitchen sink when I was in Pennsylvania. I remember hearing voices and going, oh, that's that person. You know, or that's the person who sits over there. I remember Terrell used to sit, like, when they were on the log cabin, he used to sit over on the benches on the, like, thing, and he would always sit there, and I used to be like, why does he get to sit there? What if I want to sit there? You know, like, and now I just thought, like, oh, he sits over there. Like, you know, or whatever. Like, you know people's things, and it's like you love that, that they are just authentic. And the vulnerability that everybody had, the willingness to show up with, and, and the messiness, and the, the going through life on life's terms is, like, is mind-boggling. And, you know, all of this was, you know, I haven't mentioned, like, my higher power. And, and what I realized in the last five years especially is that my higher power is, 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 the, is this entity that holds my hand when I'm crossing the street. And it took me a long time to get here because I was kind of judgy. My mom told me that, like, kind of, I'm still kind of judgy. But my mom told me that, you know, only stupid people do religious stuff, right? She told me that, like, you can't be vulnerable to any of that stuff. And, you know, that's just whatever. And today I get to say, like, when I'm scared, um, in fact, this morning, um, you know, I'm, I get to say, like, I just want to take your hand. And that is me reading the, the t- for today. That is me going to a meeting. That is me recognizing if I sit here one more minute, I'm going to go pick this thing up. I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm going to call someone. Calling is like the last thing. Let me just rigorous honesty myself. Calling? I don't want to call you. I'll text you. I'll see you in person. I'll totally have a chat with you, but I'm not going to call you in the phone. That's not happening, right? So I had to figure out different ways for me to be willing to make those, to make the necessary um, daily support hand-holding that this program gives me. Um, and in the pandemic, um, I have to say, I, that nearly killed me because I'm an in-person person. Um, and because and, I don't want to be alone, right? So, so for me, that was so difficult. Thank you. That was so difficult to, to, to go through that without connection. Um, for me, you know, the isolation and all of that is like my number one place to go because that way nobody can see I'm flawed, right? Duh. Like, but, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm flawed. I just happen to not be seen while I'm flawed, right, or messy. But I'm still being messy, and I know that. And in the pandemic, I had to double down on, on the things that I could double down on, and that was texting people, connecting with people through Zoom and not judging the fact that they're doing other things and not on camera. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I did that. But, uh, but, but I also did that, right? And I knew it. Oh, I'm doing the thing. You know, and I'm getting away with it. And, and, and I realized even in those moments I had to be the rigorous, honest, messy version of myself in that, in that camera with people staring at you. And in the middle of that pandemic, I um, uh, chose to tell my husband that if he didn't continue to do these things for his recovery um, in order to be present for showing up for our relationship, I could no longer be willing to, to do that, right? I did that in the middle of the pandemic. And I told my job 
you know, I got this crazy job, like ridiculous, and had 72 people on my team. They were treated like crap. I was coming, you know, coming in to try and solve this organization's issues, and and I was moving towards giving 26 people raises because they treated them so badly. I changed my entire organization to do this and um, met with 26 people to tell them they got raises and they got changes in their roles and what have you. And um, the president decided the day before payment to not give any of them raises. And historically, I'd just be pissed and do nothing about it. Um, but this time I said, yeah, that's unacceptable. Um, I negotiated on the front end a nice ability to, to leave a company. So I had the ability to be sitting in my integrity in these things, right? And I said, this is unacceptable. You need to give these people raises um, or I'm going to leave this organization. And they were like, you don't get to do that. These were a bunch of, you know, very... Um, misogynistic men and I said yeah I do and you're going to pay me this much money if I get to leave so you're going to do this and and they decided not to and we parted ways and in the last year and a half I've been trying to get work and I've been consulting instead because I didn't want to just go to any organization but in a pandemic you have to interview in a different way. And this last year and a half has been me telling my husband to move out, me not having full wages, even though I'm making more than he does, <laughs> in a year not working because of consulting is whatever. Who am I without my job? Who am I without my husband? Who am, how valuable am I? What am I about? Like, who am I? So there's been a new level of, of, of surrender, a new level of messy, a new level of damn it, higher power, show me which way to go. I don't know which way to go. So I'm going to just keep taking the next right action or the good order to the direction and come to meetings, go to more meetings, ask for help, be a mess and ask for more help and cry and be angry. Who's angry? I'm not allowed to be angry. That's like messy, right? You can't show up angry. And I've had to go through anger and sadness and depression. And I can only do that because of these rooms. And each one of you. So, and my higher power, obviously. But my higher power represents everyone who holds my hand. Everyone who lets me be me today. And lets me be messy. And lets me make progress in the incrementality that is my life. So... Uh, anyway, thank you for letting me share. That's me. Hi. Are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may audible on the OA podcast, and I will do my best to restate the question. Happy. Hey. Hi. Great to you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, what is your abstinence? Oh, it's a really good question. My abstinence has, um, what is my abstinence? Uh, my abstinence has changed um, over the years. Um, I'm in the middle of a, a, a deeper dive into my abstinence currently, um, but historically, the best way that I could r remain coming back in my messy state was to um, not throw up no matter what 
if I eat it, I own it. Um, and that means that I need to be mindful of everything that goes in my mouth is representative of what I'm going to feel in my body. Um, and I, uh, you know, I have to own that. Uh, but today I'm, I'm in the process of, of really looking at uh, new ways to, um, to refine how I feel in my body. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've resisted for a really long time is a regimented type food plan because you can fail at that, right? And um, there's nothing I fear more than showing up and failing. Um, and so I'm trying to find incremental ways for me to be loving towards my body versus um, being hateful towards her. So she's evolving. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, could you talk about what you alluded to earlier, your relationship with higher power or lack thereof? Mm -hmm. Um. I never trusted it. Um, can I uh, talk about my higher power and or lack thereof and how I, my relationship there? Um, nobody will stay was my mom in my whole life. Nobody will protect me. Nobody will, will um, know me and uh, accept me, so neither would a higher power. And a higher power is for people who are weak. Um, religion is for people who are weak, and I was told that you're not allowed to be weak, that you're, you're always the one who has to have things organized. I took care of everybody. You know, I, I took care of my mother, I took care of my brother, I took care of, you know, my people on my team. I, I was always outside of myself. I, I mean, I even flew to Denmark by myself at eight years old in standby, right? My mom was worked for American Airlines for 36 years, so we got to fly around the world, yay for us. But, um, you know, I, I could do everything by myself. Um, in this program, at first, I heard people talking about God, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to replace that. I took the book and went in and wrote, like, nah, <coughs> take your God word out of here. Like, it's my way or the highway. Um, and today I look at it, and I, I, I've heard a thousand different terminologies around it, but good orderly direction. Um, I personally now either call it my, my the universe or my higher power. Um, I think my higher power is um, shows up for me in, in people. It shows up for me in willingness. It shows up for me in holding my hand when I'm scared. That, that's the, the one vision um, in the last year and a half that really has stuck for me is that my higher power is there to hold my hand and keep me safe in happening and living in life with life on life's terms, whatever that is. And that all my life I've been supported by this higher power. Like, I didn't get kidnapped and sold to the dude down the street. Like, I didn't, you know, uh, end up homeless on the street. I didn't end up, you know, in all of the things that I imagined I was going to be in that I was running so fast from. And today, my higher power allows me to slow down. Like, I used to have to speed through things so that you wouldn't see I didn't know it, I wasn't good enough. I w you wouldn't find the, you know, the one uh, Excel formula that was off. Because I always had at least 20 of them, right? And I knew you were going to find out if I slowed down. So my higher power holds my hand and says, like, it's okay. 
Today you get to say, yeah, I'm totally messy. Yep, didn't do that thing. You know, like I'm teaching this class at UCLA right now, and um, and uh, the one of the students commented on uh, the organizational structure of this stupid tool we have to use. Well, anyway, it's not stupid, it's super useful. But, but it frustrated me because I had to learn it. Like, what? I had to be like, did not do this thing? And the boy says to me, blah, 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 do it this way. It's a good organization. I've done tons of these classes. And I, you know, it's my first time doing this class. And, um, and I was like, at first, my reaction was, wow. But instead, I said, I had restrained a pen and tongue. I stopped. And I went, is there any validity in that? Oh, was it a good suggestion? Oh, there, there are different ways to do this thing. Oh, I'm not a shitty, horrible person and useless and don't deserve my breath, because that's where my head goes, K-Fuck in the morning. Um, but I, an hour later, said to him, you know, hey, wow, thank you so much for that suggestion. I've not worked within this tool before. Your suggestion for organizing this is awesome. I'll do my best to try and integrate it for next week, but please feel free to add additional suggestions that you think would be meaningful and helpful to everybody else in this group. And my higher power is that, is, is the reason that happens. I mean, I would have not done that. My ego would be like front and center being like, don't you dare criticize the way I'm fucking this up. <laughs> you know, but, it, 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 but that's, what it, that's where my brain goes, right? And my higher power says, come on, you did your best. And even when I do my lessons today, you know, I'm, I, I know there's a thousand things that could go in there and I have to go, I don't have to have the perfection of a thousand things. I get to have uh, these five topics that I said I'm going to talk about. Yeah, there are a bunch of other ones because I know there are. But no, I'm going to just I'm just going to do these and be you know be enough today. And that's why I wrote. Hi Michelle. Hi Michelle. Um, in the beginning, you talked about uh, like people and just doing what others expected to feel safe and. Um, illustrated how much that's changed by thinking you can your job, but I wonder if you could speak more of that in terms of like dealing with people and your fear of people. That's a great question. How do I deal with my fear of people and um, and the, the the willing, you know, the people-pleasing piece? Um, people-pleasing uh, is my autopilot, always. Even even today, right? It's it's always the first place I go. I know what you want from me. I can tell. I'm really like I've always been very very good at reading people. Um, today I have to be conscious of the behaviors that I do that lead to that, right? So rigorous honesty is like number one for me today. So. Simple things like in, in, in work environments, if I don't know something, historically I would have been like head nodding, oh yeah, 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 and then go figure it out. Today I'd be like, actually I don't know what that is. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Can you tell me what your perspective was on that? Oh, and then I can add something to it. Um, I would have never done that before because I needed you to think I was... Uh, I was I was being enough for you, and that I was going to give you what you wanted from me, right? That people pleasing reflection that I had, you know, had my whole life, is is not serving me or you, right? And the ability to be rigorously honest about the things that I that 
that I do to hide behind. So um, I want to please you that I'm going to come and meet you on time for breakfast, right? But I chose to do these other things that made me late. Historically, I'd say, oh, there's traffic. Oh, um, the alarm went off. Didn't go off, right? Like, I would find all of these lie ways to insulate myself from you being mad at me, <laughs> right? And so instead, today I'll say something like, oh, yeah, like, I was dilly-dallying. And I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, and or, I didn't finish this thing for you but I will do my best to get it to you by this. And that is me saying to you that I want to please you. I know I'm not pleasing you. And, I, and I'm going to be comfortable with, that was the most I could do at the time. Right? And that the people pleasing is always my fear that you're going to leave me. Like, like, I'm not going to be enough for you. And what I have to recognize every time I see the, the precursors to that is to stop and say, like, what's the truth here? And how do I reveal that vulnerably? And then sit with that yucky feeling. Because my people pleasing is, oh, I don't want to sit in that yucky feeling. Right? And whether it be sitting and making it okay, like that my husband was doing X, Y, and Z things, I just would rather avoid it and make it okay for him and realize that I was just throwing myself under the bus. Someone once told me, when did you, when did you decide your higher power is going to uh, uh, give you the shaft? I was like, oh, shit, like every day. Like that it was always going to give you the shaft, right? And what I know today is that that my higher power is not giving me the shaft. My higher power is giving me opportunities to be who I am and reveal who I am and let that either be enough or not enough. But I can't control you whether that's enough or not enough. And people pleasing implies that I can, I can just, you know, I can um, control that I'm going to be enough. And I, I can't. And so, you know, I do a tenth step every day. And I write down, like, where I lied. I write down where I could have done better, where I, you know, I write down all, I mean, it's fairly extensive. And what I, I'm able to do with that every day today is that I write that at the end of the day and I let it stay yesterday. And then today I get to be, like, trying to be better. And by better, I mean better for me. Better and honest and more authentically myself. And then let the chips fall where they may. And uh, I didn't like that. For a really long time. So, that's, that's tough.